if I could take just a moment before we look at Psalm 23 to tack something on to the end of what Pastor Keith said about CareNet. It's been, and nobody asked me to say this, um, it's been my privilege to be involved with CareNet, uh, at least on a relatively small level as a volunteer. And um, we really need to pray for God's blessing on that ministry. It is huge. And it is expanding exponentially now that they're open as an STD clinic. God has opened the doors to a, a large number of male clients. And uh, that's a new thing for CareNet. Every client who walks in that door, male or female, gets the gospel every time they come in. I've heard it. I've seen uh, the ladies that work at CareNet. And now, and now there's a number of... Um, They've got, I think, probably eight to ten um, men who volunteered to meet with male clients. It was my privilege to do that a couple of weeks ago with a young man. So pray for God's blessing on that ministry. It is huge what God is doing through the ministry of CareNet and how thankful we ought to be for that ministry in our community. Now let's take uh, just a moment to pray as we come to Psalm 23. <coughs> O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. May your name as our shepherd be seen to be excellent today. As we walk through Psalm 23, will you lead us? Will you teach us? May it be your voice that we hear and give us grace to hear. And grant grace to speak, that your word might be plain, and may it take root in our hearts, and may it find, may it find root in hearts that have never, ever, ever trusted the Lord Jesus before. May that happen today, and may it be all for our good and for your glory, we pray, and ask for your help in Jesus' name, amen. Our current sermon series is called Coram Deo, which is a Latin phrase that means before or in the face of God. We live all of life, Coram Deo, before the face of God. There's nowhere we can go to escape His face, His gaze, His eyes, His presence. There's no place we can go. We teach our, our preschoolers at Heritage Christian School the first semester every year that God is everywhere. You can't get away from Him no matter where you go. Life is always coram Deo, before the face of God. And if we understand that and if we're conscious of that, it will have a bearing on how we live. Pastor Mark has helped us in a very good way to see what a large, all-embracing concept this idea of Coram Deo is. It touches, or it should touch, all of life. There's not a single facet of life that we can rope off from God and say, I'm living this on my own, out of your sight. Nobody's going to know about this piece of my life. We can't do that. We can try. It will, it will fail every time because all of life is Coram Deo. It's lived before the face of God. But sometimes we forget that. 
And sometimes we live like God doesn't even exist. Haven't you had those moments, Christian? You've done something, and what you've done is really, really foolish and sinful, and it's as if I forgot God even exists. He does. And we live before His face all the time. Sometimes we forget that. There are other times when we get lopsided in our view of living before the face of God. Often we take living in the presence of God to mean that we need to really be careful how we live because God is always watching me. And I can't get away with anything. So I need to be careful. I need to avoid this. I need to avoid that because God's eye is upon me. He is always present. And our behavior ought to reflect that we're conscious of that. And that's true. It's a little bit like our behavior when the teacher is in or out of the room. Y'all understand that? How are you when the teacher's in the room? A okay. How are you when the teacher's out of the room? Not here. Not. <laughs> you understand the teacher in and out of the room. But if we live quorum Deo, we live like the teacher is always in the room. And that's an altogether legitimate application of that concept. But if that's all we think, we got a lopsided view of what it means to live before the face of God. It's not just, i got to be really careful because God's watching me all the time. Now, He is, and that's true. And we do need to be careful. But it works the other way, too. We are always in the presence of God, and all that God is, He is to us all the time. So that when we are conscious of the teacher being in the room, we're not just being careful. What else is going on when the teacher's in the room? We're being taught. We're being helped. We're being molded and shaped in good ways. We're being protected. We're being rescued. We're being nurtured. We're being matured. We're being stretched. We're being challenged. We're being corrected. We're being led. We're being encouraged. We're being strengthened. We're being loved. We're being cared for when the teacher is in the room all the time. So the text we come to this morning is full of God's care for us. Living quorum Deo for us in this sense means living with a conscious sense of God's care for us all the time. It's not just, oops, I better really be careful because God is watching. No, it's, it's also, I need to be really thankful because God is caring for me in every way. Our text as was read just a moment ago, is Psalm 23, probably one of the most familiar passages in all of the Old Testament. How many of you at one point in your life memorized Psalm 23? That's a majority of us. It's hard to say it. Okay, I'm old, right? You got that? So when I grew up, the only Bible we had was the old King James. And it's hard for me to read it or say it in anything other than the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. So if I accidentally revert to that, you'll understand it's just because I'm old, okay? But what I've got before me is the ESV. So I'll try to stick to that so it's a little more understandable. Let's break this down. And kids, let me see your eyeballs. 
Boys and girls, I want to see your eyeballs. I got to do this so I can see your faces. Okay, have I got all your eyeballs? Okay, I'm going to give you the outline, and I want you to memorize it because it's really easy. And when you go home after church today and you sit down at lunch, you say, Mom and Dad, I can tell you Mr. Hoke's outline for the sermon. Are you ready? Boys and girls, eyeballs up here. Number one, God's care makes life good. How hard is that? God's care makes life good. Say it, kids, 12 and under, say it. Ready, go. God's care makes life good. Number two, God's care makes life good when things go bad. God's care makes life good when things go bad. You ready? 12 and under, say it with me. God's care makes life good when things go bad. And number three, God's care never ceases. Say it with me, 12 and under. God's care never ceases. Okay, you got it? Well, well, I'll give it to you again, and when I'm done, you take that home, and you remind mom and dad what the sermon was about today, okay? God's care makes life good. God's care makes life good when things go bad, and God's care never ceases. All right, let's take a look at this. God's care makes life good. The first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God's care makes life good. It's not just that life is good. It's God's care make. God's care for me makes life good. Look at David's description of God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, we'll see how that makes life good in just a minute, but I want to talk about the shepherd for, for, for a couple of minutes here. The Lord is my shepherd. The word Lord here is the word for Jehovah, which generally speaks of the eternal, self-existent, all-sufficient creator who is dependent upon no one. He is altogether complete in and of himself. He needs nothing to complete him. Jehovah. He, this eternal, self-sufficient God, takes me into his personal care and he draws me into his fold as one of his beloved sheep. He knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows me as his own. He cares for me. He takes on the relationship to me of defender and protector and provider and helper and leader and nurse and companion and friend. He is my shepherd. Everything a shepherd is in perfection to the ultimate. That's what God is to me. The Lord is my, my shepherd. Now, how did that ever come to be? That Jehovah would take a sheep into his care. They would so bind himself to a poor, needy sheep that the sheep could say, the Lord is my shepherd. What, how, did, how did that ever happen? What's the Bible say about sheep? What do they do? They go astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We ain't got no sense. We wander. We get lost. We do really stupid things because we're what? We're sheep. Ask anybody who knows animals. Cliff, you had sheep for a while. 
Are they stupid? Yes. I'm not talking about Cliff. I'm talking about his sheep. He doesn't have them anymore because they're really stupid. What, what, are, what are sheep like? We go astray. 1 Peter 2, 5, for you are continually straying like sheep. Now, what about that is attractive to God that he would pull us into that relationship of shepherd to sheep? Why would he want that? What reason is there that would make that attractive to God? None. How then could he possibly be our shepherd? Well, he did the most astounding thing. God came to earth. Jehovah came to earth. In the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, and on earth, he was called the good, what? The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In Hebrews, that's in John 10, in Hebrews 13, he's called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter 2, the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In 1 Peter 5, the chief shepherd. The shepherd doesn't go looking. He doesn't go down to the village market and go looking for some really good sheep that he can call his own. He's looking for sheep that don't wander. He's looking for sheep that don't do dumb things. He's looking for sheep that always stay on the path. He's looking for sheep that never get lost. He, and he said, oh, no, if he's looking for those kind of sheep, he's not going to find any because they don't exist. Instead, he takes wandering, faltering, stumbling, straying, lost, helpless sheep like you and me, and he makes us his own by laying down his life for us to cover, to forgive, to remove forever the guilt of our wandering. And he does that by taking the punishment on himself so that it does not fall on the head of this poor, unworthy, undeserving, stupid, wandering Get lost all the time, sheep. The placement of Psalm 23 in the Psalter. Boys and girls, you know what a Psalter is? It's not a fancy word for the thing on the table that holds salt. That's not the Psalter, okay? The Psalter is all of the Psalms together. From 1 to 150. That section of the Bible we can call the Psalter. So you can tell your mom and dad what that is too when you get home, okay? You got a three-point outline in your head, and now you know what the Psalter is. The placement of Psalm 23 in the Psalter is a remarkable stroke of providence. Because you know what comes just before Psalm 23? Boys and girls, what comes before Psalm 23? Psalm 22. And here's the beginning of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who's that about, boys and girls? That's about Jesus. That's what Jesus cried on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 is all about Jesus in his suffering and death. Later on in that psalm, it says, For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Who's that talking about? That's a prophetic word about Jesus. They pierced my hands and my feet. 
they cast lots for my robe. It's the good shepherd. Psalm 22 is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. And the reason we can have Psalm 23 in all of its refreshment and goodness and beauty and encouragement and hope is because we have Psalm 22 in all of its agony and forsakenness and suffering and death. I want you to listen carefully. The word's going to show up on the screen back here to the words of an old hymn we don't sing anymore. J. Poe, where are you? We need to sing this. Okay? You with me? And, and don't find the jazzed up tune, just sing it. Okay? I told you I was old, see? There are some jazzed up tunes that are okay. All right? But, okay, here they come. Listen, listen. If it, th- these words are rich and full. And it explains why David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. The hymn says, oh, dearest Jesus. What law hast thou broken? That such sharp sentence should on thee be spoken. Oh, what great crime hast thou to make confession? What dark transgression? They crown thy head with thorns. They smite, they scourge thee. With cruel mockings to the cross they urge thee. They give thee gall to drink. They still decry thee. They crucify thee. Whence come these sorrows? Whence this mortal anguish? It is my sins for which thou, Lord, must languish. Yea, all the wrath, the woe, thou dost inherit. This I do merit. Now here it is. What punishment so strange had suffered yonder? The shepherd dies for sheep that love to wander. The master pays the debt his servants owe him. Who would not love him? Do you see it? Do you see why David can say, the Lord is my shepherd because of the cross? David can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Not because the shepherd found, oh, here's a pretty good sheep. I'll take this one. No. David can say, the Lord is my shepherd because of what happened at the cross. And yes, that, was, that hadn't happened yet when David was writing this. But it was sure to happen, and it was set from before the foundation of eternity. It was on the basis of that cross that David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's the only way you or I will ever be able to call Jesus our shepherd if we've come to the cross and embraced him as our only redeemer. And apart from that, we will wander our way to hell forever. Now, can you say this morning, the Lord is my shepherd? You need to answer that question right now. Right now, in your conscience, you need to answer that question. You can either say it, the Lord is my shepherd, or you can't say it. And I don't mean just repeat the words, the Lord is my shepherd, yeah, I can say that. No, I mean say it with integrity. Because He really is your shepherd. Can you say that this morning?
the Lord is my shepherd. If not, if you can't say that with integrity, then you need to have some serious dealings with God right now where you sit. Just tune out the rest and you talk to God until you can say with integrity, the Lord is my shepherd because I'm tired of wandering. I'm tired of being lost. I'm tired of getting in trouble. I'm tired of being on my own. I need a shepherd. And his name is Jesus. Will you come to him right now? Okay. Now, it's going to take me less time to finish this than it took me just to get to this point, okay? So don't get anxious. We've got a lot of psalm to cover, but we'll do it quickly. Now that we know who our shepherd is and what he's done to make us his sheep, let's look at how he cares for us. The first statement he makes is sweeping, is comprehensive, and then he breaks it down into some details. His comprehensive statement, this comprehensive care is wrapped up in these words, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, it's critical in our culture of entitlement, y'all know what I mean by that, in our culture of entitlement, to define what want means. And when we say God's care makes life good, we have to define good, okay? It does not necessarily mean health and wealth. I shall not want does not mean a Hummer in the driveway of your six-bedroom, four-bath house on your 10-acre lot. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not, that's not what I need. I shall not want. And as you trace God's care for His people through the Bible, I shall not want means that God will see to it that I lack nothing that I really need. If I need strength, He will grant it. If I need encouragement, it will come. If I need a Nathan to stick his finger under my nose and rebuke me for my sin, then God's going to send a Nathan to me. That's good. Wasn't it good for Nathan, for, for David, when Nathan showed up on his front door and said, you are the man. That was really good for David. I, he could really say, in the broadest sense, I shall not want. I shall not want for a Nathan when I really need a Nathan to come and confront me about my sin. If I need comfort, it will come, won't it? Reeds and Carricks. If I need comfort, it will come. If I need correction, my great shepherd will see to it that it comes. He'll take that rod and he'll, and he'll whack me on the nose. And he'll tap me on the side. And he'll take that crook and put it around my neck and pull me back. If that's what I need, it'll come. And all of that is good for me. God's care makes life good. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack for anything that I need and that is good for me. And that's a, that's a wide-ranging idea. Now, look at verses 2 and 3 where he details some of these things that we will not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We will not lack for rest and nourishment. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see it? See it? Turn your imagination on. See it in your mind's eye. 
You've been, you've been walking that path all day long, sheep. And the shepherd brings you to a really beautiful green pasture. And you lie down. And there's plenty to eat and plenty of rest. I will not lack for rest and nourishment. My shepherd sees to it that I have access to all the rest and nourishment that I need. I may not always take advantage of the rest or the nourishment God gives me, but it's there. His care for me makes my life good. He gives me rest and nourishment. He leads me beside still waters. I shall not lack for refreshment. He takes me to the best source of refreshment, to still waters, not the troubled, muddy, turbulent, fouled waters of the world, but the quiet, still waters of His Word. It's there for you and for me. Do I always stop to drink deeply of those still, sweet, refreshing waters? Do I get sidetracked? Sometimes I do. But He leads me. Besides still waters, and they're always there for me. His care for me makes life good. I shall not lack for rest and nourishment. I shall not lack for refreshment. He restores my soul. I shall not lack for restoration. How often do I wander and need to be brought back, restored? How often do I lose my way and the shepherd goes to find me? How many times has the shepherd come to find you? And aren't you glad he did? He didn't leave you. You left the path. How many times? How many times have I gotten off the path? Times have gotten off. And you know what happens? My shepherd comes and finds me. And he brings me back. And he restores my soul. How often do I feel dry and barren and almost lifeless, but the shepherd comes and he restores me again and again. His care makes my life good. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I shall not lack for direction. Sheep are not smart. They don't know where to go. They don't know how long to stay. They don't know what to do. They don't know when to move on. They don't know which path is the best. They don't know which path leads to trouble. But the shepherd leads me in righteous paths, in the best paths, in the paths that he has walked, and he will not lead us astray. Those paths may sometimes be hard. They may sometimes be uphill. They may sometimes twist and turn, but they're always good, and they may sometimes be challenging, but they're always good, and they may sometimes be mysterious, but they're always good. His care for me makes my life good. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I do not want or I do not lack for direction, and he does it for his name's sake. You know, our shepherd has a stake in how well we his sheep do. We either make him look good or we make him look bad. What do you do? Do you make your shepherd look good? Or do you make him look bad? He leads us for his name's sake so that we'll make him look good because it's really all about the glory of God. Our well-being is for our good. It's ultimately for his glory. His care makes life good, and that reflects well on him. Now, do you see 
how our shepherd's care for us makes life good. I shall not want for rest and nourishment. I shall not want for refreshment. I shall not want for restoration. I shall not want for direction. Would you say that's a pretty good life? I hope not. I hope you'd say it's a really good life. That's a really good life. His care as my shepherd makes life good. Now, how's that happen? Where's that rest, nourishment, refreshment, restoration, direction found? What better pastures are there than the Word of God? What better refreshment is there than that which comes from deep drinking deeply at this fountain right here? What better restoration than that which comes from the gracious promises of forgiveness found in the pages of this book right here? What better direction, what a clearer path than that marked out for us in the Word of God? What we hold in our hands, whether you hold it like this or whether you hold it like this, it doesn't matter. What better direction? It's the all-sufficient word of our good shepherd. Do you read it? We're January 20, what's today, 21st? 21 days into the new year. Some of you made resolutions to read. How you doing? It's the best thing. Do you meditate on it? Do you take advantage? Okay, I'm, I'm going to meddling here. Do you take advantage of every opportunity to hear this book? Don't raise your hands because I don't want too many of you to be embarrassed, but how many of you were here at Sunday school this morning? Shame on you if you weren't here. There was an opportunity for rest, refreshment, nourishment, restoration, and direction. From the kids all the way up to us old people. How many of you were at the Lord's table the last time. What an opportunity for rest, nourishment, refreshment, restoration, and direction to sit around that Lord's table and celebrate the dying love of Jesus. These are marvelous opportunities to experience the shepherd's care for your soul. You ought to come. Makes life good. Makes life real good. Because you're sitting under the care of your shepherd. Now, when we come to verse 4, there's a change in perspective. In verse 1 to 3, David is talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. He does this. He does that. He did. But now in verse 4, he starts talking to God. Instead of talking about him, he's talking to him. He's talking to his shepherd. And this is a significant shift. The point here is, 
God's care makes life good when things go bad. Boys and girls, number one was God's care makes life good. Number two, God's care makes life good when things go bad. And sometimes they do. Things go south. Hard things come. They're, they're sometimes perplexing. We don't see the point. We question the timing. We question the wisdom. We, we, we just question when things go bad. But David makes it clear that God's care for his sheep does not waver, not even when things go bad. So when David starts talking to God, he talks about his care in the face of difficulty. But his words are not words of complaint. His words are not words of objection. His words, when things go bad, his words to God are not words of rebellion. When things got hard for David, he spoke to God and reminded him of the ways in which his care made life good even when it was hard. These words have the ring, the word is not here, but these words have the ring of thanksgiving to them. Don't they? Look, listen. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm sick and tired of life going south for me. God, what are you up to? He doesn't say, you prepare a table before me in the, pre- in the presence of mine enemies. How about my friends? Come on, God, I'm tired of my enemies. He doesn't say that. His words ring with thanksgiving that God cares for him even when things go bad, and sometimes they do. Take a look at the hard things here. The valley of the shadow of death, evil, and enemies. Now how's that for a comfy life? The valley of the shadow of death evil, in the presence of enemies. These are not pleasant things. And David had his share of them, and so have you, and so have I. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. Romans 5 talks about rejoicing in tribulation. Romans 8 talks about the sufferings of this present life. James 1 talks about counting it joy when you fall into various trials. 1 Peter 1 talks about various trials and being tested as by fire. Sometimes life is just hard. We, we've, we've many references to this today because it's fresh on all of our minds. In the past two weeks, our brother Watson had to bury his mother and the Reeds had to bury theirs. And while there was a lot of rejoicing over both of those dear ladies entering into the presence of Jesus, there was also some real pain and hurt. And rightly so. If you love well, if you love deeply, guess what? When you have to let go of that love, it's going to hurt deeply. It's part of the cost of loving. There were pain and and there were tears and not a little heartache and a sense of loss. And there there is just evil in this world. It's not just the valley of shadow of death. There's evil in this world. It's all around us. Our culture is disintegrating. Our moral backbone is practically gone. And men call good evil and evil good all over the place. 
The gospel has always had enemies. Their presence, the presence of enemies should be no surprise to any of us. So, things do go bad. There's the valley of shadow of death. There's evil. And there are enemies. But now look at, David, look at David's response to all of that. He says, even though, in spite of the reality of hard things, I will fear no evil. I will not lack. This, we're just working out. I shall not want, okay? I will not lack for courage and grace. I will not be swallowed up by despair. I will not lack for peace. Why? For you are with me. I have God's own presence to sustain me. I'm not walking through this dark valley alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't think he's talking so much about two instruments here as two functions of that one stick that every good shepherd carried. It had a nice big old crook on the end of it. And it was hardwood, no doubt. Because sheep are hard-headed. So he needed some hard wood to knock some sense into those stupid sheep. Your rod. That's the same word that's used in Proverbs for the rod of discipline. Your rod comforts me. Well, now that's a twist, isn't it? That spankings are good for me. I finally learned that. It took me a long time. But when my dad spanked me, I finally learned that that was a comforting thing because it taught me that doing this knuckle-headed thing over here is not good and it doesn't pay. That's a comforting thing, isn't it? But when that sheep begins to wander, the shepherd takes his rod and Taps him on the nose, knocks him on the head, bumps his rear end to get back in line. Good for the sheep because, because two feet away, he's going to fall to his death. Thank you, shepherd. That's a comfort to me. The rod. And he used the crook end of that staff often to rescue a stranded sheep. And he'd reach down that rocky slope. And he'd hook that staff around the neck of that sheep or around their front legs. And he'd gently pull that little sheep back up to his arms. Comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There was real comfort in knowing that the shepherd cared enough about his sheep to keep him from wandering and to go rescue him from trouble. The shepherd's care makes life good when things go bad. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I will not lack for provision. No matter the opposition, God will take care of me. And the image here is a feast. You spread a table before me. That's not just a crumb of bread and a, and a swallow of water. You spread, you spread a table before me. That's a feast. And wherever, whatever enemies were there, they could not disrupt this feast because God had spread it for His Sheep. God's care was greater than the opposition of his enemies. His care made life good when things were bad. And then he said, you anoint my head with oil. I shall not lack for welcome. I shall not lack for welcome. 
when Jesus went to Simon the Pharisee's house, Simon didn't do a thing to welcome him in. And that sinful prostitute came in with a broken heart. And in confession and repentance, she did not cease to anoint him with oil and to wash his feet with her tears. That was welcome. And Jesus said to Simon the Pharisee, you did not anoint my head with oil. That was a mark of loving welcome. He certainly would not receive that from his enemies, but he felt the very real welcome from God. So David said, you prepare a table before me. I, I, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. And then, he, and then he wraps it all up. And he says, my cup overflows. What else could he say? Think about it. After green pastures, still waters, restoration, paths of righteousness, God's presence in Death Valley, comfort, provision, and welcome. What else could he say? Man, my cup is full. And it overflows. You have been so good to me. My shepherd. My cup overflows. Now I hope it's plain. God's care makes life good. God's care make life, makes life good when things go bad. And what's the last one, boys and girls? God's care never ceases. Makes life good. His care makes life good when things go bad. And God's care never ceases. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He cares for us in this life, all the days of my life. And how does he show that care? Goodness and mercy shall follow me. It's hard to improve on the word goodness. It's God's benevolence. Psalm 31, 19, oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and you do good. The goodness of God is ours. And the word mercy, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word mercy is one of the richest words in the Old Testament. It refers to God's steadfast, immovable, covenant loyalty to His children. It's translated mercy, loving kindness, loyalty, steadfast love. It is a strong, rich concept that flows out of the character of God toward His people and that will never, ever, ever change. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3. And what does David say about God's goodness and mercy? Anybody here, any, before, before I say it, anybody here not want the mercy of God? Anybody here not want God's loving kindness to follow you? The option is for God's wrath and judgment to be your portion. So this is really good. If the mercy and goodness of God follow you, they follow me all the days of my life, David said. The word for follow is the word, it's not just tag along, it's the word pursue. The goodness and mercy of God pursue this sheep who belongs to the shepherd. All the days of his life. It's not like goodness and mercy 
are just sort of tagging along behind like a little puppy that gets distracted and sidetracked and just every once in a while nips at our heels. No, His goodness and mercy are hot on our trail always, without distraction, all the days of our lives. But you say, my days don't always feel like that. It's an old John Denver song that has special meaning to our family. Some days are diamonds. Anybody know that song? What's the next line? Some days are stones. Some days are diamonds. Some days are stones. How many of you have stone days? Come on. Yeah, we all do. Some days are diamonds. Some days are stones. Wait, 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 wait. It said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How's that, how's that square? Some days, my do- days don't feel like that. If that's how we feel, it may be an indication that we're walking by sight and not by faith. Because sight says, this really stinks. I don't get it. What happened to God's goodness and mercy? But faith says, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. It's a great mercy that God disciplines us. It's a great mercy that trials come and drive us to lean upon our shepherd. But even at the end of this life, whenever that comes, God's goodness and mercy are still pursuing us because he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I got his goodness and mercy hot on my tail all the days of my life. And when those days come to an end, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His goodness and mercy pursue me all the way to heaven. David's hope was not simply for green pastures and still waters in this life. He was looking far beyond this life to the ultimate in God's care. And that was to be safe at home in heaven. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7. Is that your hope? Can you identify with David? Is Psalm 23 yours? Can you say with integrity? The Lord is my shepherd. Are we living out every day, Coram Deo, before the face of God, and His face is toward us in care? His care makes life good. His care makes life good when things go bad. And His care never ceases. This is my last word. It may be that you can't identify with David here. This doesn't resonate with you. It may be that what I'm about to read resonates more with you. David Paulison, a a contemporary writer and counselor, wrote what he called the anti-psalm, the opposite of Psalm 23. Is this you? The words on the screen. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed 
It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? Man, that's depressing. Isn't it? But that's exactly where so many around us are. And if that describes you, I have a good word for you. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there another moment. You don't have to stay there another day. There's a real shepherd whose name is Jesus. And he's not looking for sheep that are already good. He's looking for sheep that are lost and wandering and helpless and he rescues them. And he made rescue possible by laying down his life and taking all the hell you deserve so that you can escape that judgment and be covered with the righteousness of Jesus. And he does that for boys and girls. He does it for teenagers. He does it for, for young adults. He does it for old people. You can ask him to be your shepherd. His care makes life good. His care makes life good when things go bad. His care never ceases. Make him your shepherd. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are astounded that you should take into your fold sheep like us. What have we done to deserve your care? What have we done to deserve the good life that your care gives, what have we done so that even when things go bad, your care is still good? What have we done? Nothing. But you have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And will you seek the lost today? And may this day, may some poor, helpless, lost, discouraged sheep find rescue at the hands of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus. And may, and may those of us who've been rescued and who've tasted of his goodness and mercy all the days of our lives, may we find ourselves fresh with thanksgiving that you are our shepherd. We shall not want. Thank you. In Jesus' name.
stay and respond in song. fellowship. It's followed by um, our prayer meeting from 615 to 730. Heritage Kids will also be meeting this Wednesday. There'll be a Q&A for the kids with our new pastors, Thad and Keith Withrow. Also, next Sunday is a MASH offering Sunday. And so, kids, um, don't forget to bring your cans and parents. Help them remember to bring those cans. If you need to get those cans, I believe you can see Tom Pope and he can get them to you. Um, and we'll be bringing them forward during the offering um, for next Sunday. Also, please pray for our ski retreat. I believe we have a few kids um, headed up to um, Edgewood to participate in that. So pray for God's blessing on our youth who participate in that ski retreat. And if you're meeting um, with your small group, community group, uh, anytime this week, I encourage you to talk through um, Psalm 23 um, in your community groups together, especially how you were encouraged uh, through God's care uh, and the reminder of God's care through that psalm today. I want to conclude um, our service this morning by reading this benediction from the letter to the Hebrews, which includes a reminder of our shepherd. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever.